You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Hello, it's Clancy Overall here. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show and welcome back to part two of the Batuta Advocate's interview with the Darwin Wharfie and Indigenous activist Thomas Mayer. This episode discusses his upbringing, his work in the Maritime Union and, of course, the disinformation, the misinformation campaign currently being peddled around about this upcoming referendum for an Indigenous voice. Thomas Mayo, a proud Torres Strait Islander man, and his family are at the centre of these conspiracies. It doesn't sound like a very good time. He's going to tell us more about that. He's also going to give us a bit more information about the model and the Uluru Statement at large. Thanks for tuning in. With the no... You know, the people that have put their hands up with the no campaign, it, it, it could have gone either way. Little Proud, obviously, and I know that he's going to have to deal with this guilt for the rest of his career. David Little Proud is the leader of the National Party. They needed to stand for something at a certain point in time. Everyone was damaged post-election. You know, the coalition had lost 20 seats federally, and then that said Dutton still hadn't made his call at this point. Dutton was umming and ahhing and treading water and said he needed more information, and actually, you know, his party had actually previously said to him that we support this, and a lot of people did. And then the Nationals were the first to kind of start the what we now have seen as a house of cards of all these different people who have now aligned themselves with the no campaign. And most recently, the Victorian Liberal government, just like they needed another headline this week. But there's a dark side to it. I can understand as much as, you know, as we said, it's disgraceful, it's bad faith. But if you stand for nothing, you've got nothing going on. You can't win an election. I can see why the Liberal Party want to win a referendum. Referendums are... It's easy for a referendum to fail and they get to wear that like an election win and perhaps boost their their donations and perhaps boost their membership or at least boost their relevance because they are facing an existential crisis at the moment. But is there also this scary element where there are people and there are legislators and there are politicians who are excited for this referendum to be unsuccessful because then they get to actually wash their hands of any responsibility that you know they might have two Aboriginal people and the traumatic remnants of the policies that have previously disrupted and, and you know traumatised and killed and kidnapped people. No, because the voice itself will make sure that we're heard, yeah, well, when right? it's successful, but so, the, yeah. it, it, you know that that's going to be the beauty of the voice. But do you think they're pushing for it to be unsuccessful so that they don't have to think about you? I don't know. I I think it's actually a lot more base than that. It's just a cheap win. Yeah, and what a hill to die on. Yeah. Mm. And they're going to be on the wrong side of history, you know. Like one thing that I know for sure, whether we succeed at this or not, is that we're on the right side of history here. Mm. I mean, you only need to listen to the children, right? Yeah. The younger generations that are so proud of Indigenous culture. They love learning a bit of language, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, doing a bit of artwork with the elders that come Mm -hmm. into the schools and they get it. Mm -hmm. There's no way that we are not going to one day recognize indigenous people and actually want to listen not just for the purpose of closing the gap you know and improving life expectancies and health Mm. and education outcomes but also because of the wisdom that we carry from being on this country living in harmony with it for over sixty thousand years you know we've got this climate crisis right now it's it things are going south and you know Mm. we're going into a a dry spell um everyone says and especially when the bushfires are here, they say, well, we need to learn how yeah. to manage this country yeah. in a better way. So, and not only that, but, you know, despite 
opposite to what people have always said about us in this country, you know, to justify what was done to us in the first place, but certainly from some extreme elements in the No campaign, that we are savages and unintelligent, mm. that, you know, we our culture is, is somehow inferior. Um, it's actually a beautiful culture and a sharing culture and a generous one. I think that's something that we will embrace when we vote yes and mm. will be something that will make us stronger. Well, Thomas Mayo is not saying this, but, you know, some people are, that, you know, Australia should be happy that all Aboriginal people want is equality rather than revenge. Aforementioned, uh, you know, history of unhelpful government policies that were obviously drafted up without any form of Indigenous consultation. I want to now talk about uh, the target that's been on your back. I mean, I'm sure you're used to it as someone who's involved in the union movement. I'm sure you've had plenty of people from the top end of town who would like to smear your name. But this seems to be something different. You're at the centre of multiple conspiracies. Some people would actually, you know, if you're sitting at home with a tinfoil hat on your head, you could believe that Tom Mayo is the puppeteer behind the entire voice as a, a billionaire left-wing uh, communist elite is what they'd be you know, yeah. willing to believe right now. Yeah, really, really crazy stuff that's being spread around <laughs> there. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that must be must be pretty effective or something. I, I think they've given me far more uh, credit than I deserve. You know, I mean, all I've been doing here is uh, just trying to achieve what I think is best for this country <laughs> and best for my people, you know, and suddenly I'm this... Uh, Anyway. What's well, the most extreme thing that you've read about yourself? Oh, geez, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's just so much. There's such a wide range. Uh, I mean, there's uh, gold for Batuta yeah, yeah. in all of this stuff, there's these crazy of things that come. Yeah, through, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about you and your family and your history because that's obviously – that's not out of bounds for these people, whether they're racist trolls or they're just you know, Sky News lunatics – What's your story and who's your mob? Who's your family? Uh, you know, what? It, it's been quite shocking actually mm. to see photos of your parents, you know, being mm. shared around as, you know, saying that we're not genuinely Indigenous mm. and, and all this sort of stuff, you know. But yeah, look, my, my father is a Torres Strait Islander. My mum's uh, mother was um, uh, English-Irish descent. Her father was a Polish-Jewish refugee, came and worked on the Snowy River Project as an engineer and eventually went up to the Territory, worked at the Francis Creek Mine, and that's where my father went and worked and met my mum. Uh, he was of that generation of Torres Strait Islanders that led, left the Torres Strait to, you know, get work. When Railroads. And, finally, um, not under the protector, you know, that mm. controlled, you know, you had to get permission to leave the islands and things like that around 67. So in 1969, he went to the Northern Territory to work and met my mum and fell in love and stayed. But, yeah, my mob, my great-great-grandfather was Filipino, went to the Torres Strait, married a Torres Strait Island woman. And the other great-great-grandfather on that side was Malay yep. uh, from Dayak, you yep. know, tribe in Borneo, and also went to the Torres Strait to work, yep. Yep. indentured workers, and yep. um, married a, an island woman. And so my mob, uh, Kurareg, which yep. is the islands closest to the mainland that identify as Aboriginal, and can trace the ancestry there, by name well before Cook arrived yep. and my more recent uh, migrant forebears, Cookagal, which is the central island group in the Torres Strait, and Erebumle, an Arab or Darnley Island is an island in the northeast of the Torres Strait. So obviously very well documented history and also it sounds like the, the forebears 
particularly on your father's side, you know, when you talk Malay, there's been, you know, um, a relationship in the north of Australia between Borneo and, and what we now know, I guess, is Indochina and um, mm. top of Australia and Aboriginal communities since well before yeah, wooden boats, it. you know, wooden ships anyway. Yeah, and we've got the best cooking too. Yeah. You know, ginger well. and garlic and everything, lemongrass. We'll be up there for the Luxor Festival in Darwin, actually. That's where we're what. heading up there. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't cooked yet this year because I've been so busy. But I love cooking. There. There's going to be a cookbook after this, so I'll, I'll write that in my break after the referendum. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Yeah. So they try and accuse you of the Johnny-come-lately. That's how they're trying to discredit you. Yeah. Well, the, the right wing. And, that's and what that. a lot of the social media yeah. has been. You know, uh, Thomas is a Filipino. He's, yeah. You know, he's, he's not... I saw the Zionist yeah, conspiracies sort of too. I saw yeah, the Jewish Zionist stuff. Yeah, of course. Of course, we've descended to the to the point of Zionism. Uh, somehow, anti-Semitic rhetoric has been inserted into the Indigenous Voice referendum, but that's where we're at. What kind of support system do you have around you? Have the union movement, or is, are you out here? Because I feel like the reason you've be, they've taken a baseball bat to you is because they haven't actually seen much of you before. Because you've come out of the union movement, you're not necessarily an Indigenous activist household name like Marsha Langton or Noel Pearson. Yeah, and I wasn't, uh, you know, from a family of activists or anything. I just, I was on the wharf in 1998 when the Patrick's dispute happened. And, you know, it really shaped me. I I saw that as a real injustice and so did a lot of Australians. That's why they joined us. What's the Patrick's dispute? The Patrick's dispute was when, uh, it was John Howard was the Prime Minister and he colluded with one of the two major stevedores. And basically in the middle of the night, Back in 90, April 1998, morphies um, around the country were dragged out of the forklifts and cranes and locked out of our livelihoods. Mm. Uh, a four-month battle ensued and uh, we won in the High Court and eventually a, a deal was done. So it was really about silencing the voice of maritime workers. Mm-hmm. So that really shaped me to understand you know, mm-hmm. the importance of unity and sticking together and helping each other. But you know, for all of the, for, for the hate that I get, uh, there's a lot more love, and that's mm-hmm. what keeps me going. Yeah. Uh, and I do believe that Australians are fair-minded people. You know, yeah. they saw it as, you know, unfair when that happened back in '98. They saw it as unfair, you know, when Indigenous people were calling for equal wages back in the '60s and '70s, and we've achieved land rights in this country and native title. You know, we we do make improvements. Yeah. We are a fair society, I believe. But interestingly, for each of those moments throughout history we've seen the same fear-mongering that we're mm. seeing today. Yeah. And if there was social media back then, you would have seen that vitriol, you know, that sort of mm. fear-mongering. But Australians are overcome that, yeah. you know, and our, every time, like the marriage equality campaign, yeah. you know, and the plebiscite. I remember seeing ads the on TV and right? I was like, how, how are these allowed to be on television? <laughs> this is terrible. Like, yeah, we saw it then. Mm. And you know what? The day after the plebiscite, when it got up by just over 60%, Australia mm. was better and stronger for it, Yeah, you know? The bestiality didn't become the norm, yeah. as they yeah. were saying. You People know, start rooting road stuff. trains and stuff. Slope, like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, yeah. so, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think Australians are smart. And, you know, the polls might be indicating that we're behind in this campaign for a voice, the fairness of a voice. But I think Australians can see through that and they won't be taken for mugs. And mm. But we've got to do the work. Yeah. And, and so, so I hope the listeners help us to say to people, you know, come on. How An advisory you, committee is going to take something from you? Come on. How does a yes vote win at this point? We've got to do the work. Yeah. You know, we have over 30,000 volunteers across the country uh, and we could use many more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have just this week over 700 campaign activities that are happening. 
we're leafleting. I've been door knocking around the country mm-hmm. uh, in Granville the other day in the Hunter. We've got to have those conversations like you did, you know, with yeah. your mum and dad. Yeah. Uh, just have a respectful conversation with them. Be patient, listen, and then just help them see what the truth of this is. Because the truth really is what matters here. It's just recognition and listening. You've been in lots of different disputes and battles. In some, you can really take a blowtorch out, you know. We're talking down on the, on the wharf's picket lines and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can insert a bit more aggression. But with the, with the Yes campaign, it feels like everyone's trying to take the high road. And you're talking about conversations here, but, you know, we've mm. been trying on the Batuta Advocate podcast, you know, it wasn't too hard to get you on, Thomas. Thank you for joining us. But we will not get anyone from that camp. They're not even having the conversation. If they're not in the, you know, their cheer squad kind of uh, mediums, which would be certain newspapers mm. and certain TV channels, mm. they're not even going to engage. They don't really want to dissect where they're coming from. How does that feel, you know, having to take the – do you feel like, you know, you, you kind of want to bring out the old union – tactics on these guys and, and just you, you know, know what let, let's just let's just shut down let's just yeah. shut down the waterfront <laughs> well, well it's easy because we've always taken the high ra- high, yeah. high road you mm. know like uh, even in union campaigns mm. sure you you communicate in a different way you're rah rah to yeah. a bunch of blue collar workers yeah, right yeah. you know because you've got to get their attention yeah. and we've got to you know it's about motivation yeah. and and inspiration yeah. uh, in any movement that's yeah. not just unions that's you know a, a, a movement about justice for anything yeah You've got to help people feel and see why there needs to be change. Mm-hmm. You know, that always comes from a, a position of love, yeah. you know, because we do it because we want fair wages yeah. or we want safety. We want to go home and not die on the job. Yeah. We want Indigenous people to have the ability to have a say in a transparent and accountable way through representatives that we choose. And that's what this is about, yeah. you know. So it's not hard because uh, that's the way that I've always done things and mm. I know that all of the the yes campaign spokespeople you know that is that is our motivation mm. is love not just for our own families and yeah. our communities but for our country as well Noel hasn't even lost that famous temper yet <laughs> yeah well it's not to say that people don't lose their temper from time to time I'm <laughs> it takes a lot for me to lose my temper you know but uh <laughs> I uh, guess uh, it must be yeah. frustrating for these um, people trying to dig up dirt files on you, because obviously that's been done that many times over as someone who's you know involved in the maritime union. But it must be frustrating because they dig into Thomas Mayer, they keep digging, and they find wholesome books about fatherhood, and you, you know you're an author, yeah. and, and you've got all like you've got you've got such a diverse background before this referendum, hmm. um, and it's hard for them to construct a narrative about you. I mean, they've obviously yeah, settled I for mean, Tommy the Commie, which is yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty low Tommy rent. Commie, yeah, I've never been a member of the Communist Party. <laughs> Uh, just put that out there, geez. But um, you know, you can mash up all these videos and make you know try and make someone look scary. But yep. you know, I mean, you know that sure I can you know raise my voice at a rally and those types of things. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, I've written a book about fatherhood. It's called Dear Son: Letters and Perspectives from First Nations Fathers and Sons. It's a bunch of letters. You know, myself, Stan Grant, Troy Casa Daly, and and men that have never written a letter before. Mm-hmm. 12 of us put together this book and, um, you know, it's it's not what we're about. It's always from a place of wanting to build a better society for everyone. What are you saying to everyone for after this? What do you want for after this, regardless of the result? Are you hoping that everyone isn't fucked up from all this? It's getting to the point now, much like it did with the marriage mm. equality plebiscite, where people were made to question their own existence or made to, you know, feel like they don't exist. 
It's been hugely difficult, mm. not just for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but especially for us. Yeah. But for anybody that is, you know, really hurt by some of the things that are being said and knowing that they're lies, whether in the media yeah. or on social media, yeah. on Facebook and all the rest. But you see, when we did put our minds together back in these dialogues that happened in 2017 and then the convention at Uluru in the heart of the nation, we decided that we had to have the courage to try and do this. That is because nothing else has worked, mm -hmm. right? The gap is widening today, 2023. The Closing the Gap report reported that four of the measures are, are getting worse. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's an element with a, a voice in parliament, do you think there's an element where there's also certain things you can't ignore? Like, you know, have you seen this happen before where maybe an elder or a community leader or some sort of expert with lived experience gets that opportunity to speak to Barnaby Joyce about a certain issue? And would someone like Barnaby Joyce listen? And do they subconsciously listen? Is that is that where we're getting at with the, oh, with the well, advisory element? Let's use a more immediate example, I suppose. Yeah. You know, we met with Peter Dutton a number of times to explain what this was all about, you know, that it's just an advisory committee. Yeah that, uh, you know, this is something that came through a process of, you know, a unique opportunity for Indigenous people to reach a consensus, which was difficult to mm. reach a consensus. Mm. You know, 270 yeah, it's, people it's trying custom, to... <laughs> it's a customised... Uh, it's a customised dialogue, right? You've had yeah. to... You've had to take into account a whole lot of things. I mean, just your family alone, just the, the yeah. Torres Strait Islands is vastly different to the mainland. That's just right, yeah. You know, but we share it. But, yeah. you know, like having that conversation mm. and seeing, you know, like the feigned interest mm. and then, you know, him going out there into a press conference and saying, oh, well, we all these questions haven't been answered when all the questions had been and answered. sat in the room. Saying with there's not enough detail when the detail is as simple as a principle that we're voting on yeah. here, recognition and an advisory committee. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's why politicians are unreliable. We need yeah. to have our own voice. Yeah. And we need a voice that can see better accountability and transparency to the decisions that mm. they make about us. Well, it's nearly over, mate. Geez, I'm ready for a rest. I've been working <laughs> hard on this for six years. Oh, it'll, Just, be, it'll, be, it'll be well earned when it's done. Just quickly, you've been doing this tour around the country Saw you up in Yamba the other night. What kind of reception you're being met with in these kind of communities? And Yamba's an interesting yeah. one in itself because it's you know obviously got a sizable Aboriginal population, but I saw a lot of old codgers, old old you know leathery old white surfies in that crowd. So what's uh, yeah. what's the reception you've been kind of met with? Oh, it was way? great in Yamba. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Yamba and Grafton were a bit different to other places in that there were 40 registrations for the town halls, yeah. but 200 people turned up. Yeah. <laughs> Just <one laughs> Usually you get the registrations <laughs> yeah. and then you get you know about 30 percent drop off. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a really great reception. What I what we try and do. Um, is always try and meet with the indigenous community first because you know it's we've only had the resources really to really extensively mm. sort of uh, get out there and we've only had the words for the change since March. Yeah. So we've been working really hard on. So the first thing we do is meet indigenous elders mm -hmm. uh, in the community, and you know there's skepticism or you know because there's low trust in government and processes. But always, you know, I find they're passionate then for the yes vote when they have it explained. And I just want to make this point, you know, there's some Indigenous people that don't support it. Yeah. Over 80% do. Uh, and if you really listen to anybody, any Indigenous person, they just want to be listened to, yeah. right? That's the... But um, Yamba was great. Grafton was great. I did a tour of the central central coast in, yeah. in Queensland 
from the sunny coast all the way up to Mackay. I did the Clarence, so the Clarence Valley, that was the Clarence Valley, um, the Hunter region, and places where people said, oh, you know, you don't want to go into that community and have a town hall. They'll be there with pitchforks yeah. and that type of thing. Just wonderful people. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and in Yamba, um, among other places, really heartfelt, you know, at the end of the session when we'd explain the history behind this and why it's called for and uh, what the change to the constitution will be, people in those small towns said, this is the best thing that has ever happened here. The best thing we've seen for a long time in that this community coming together, you know, 200 people in Little Yamba mm. uh, or, you know, Raymond Terrace or, you mm -hmm. know, Armadale or Grafton or Bundaberg and saying this is this is great. This yeah. is a unifying thing. Um, and it's just sad that one side is playing politics with mm. it and trying to divide us, but the result will be unifying. Well, as we said before, you deserve a big break, mate. Maybe... um. You'll be ready to clock off by the time the um, the Darwin Luxor Festival's on. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking forward to that. I haven't yeah. had a Luxor for a while, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's October. <laughs> October 30th, they've got the grand finale. We just heard haven't about it. I have been fishing this year. I love my fishing. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Where do you, where do you like to go? Off the Gulf? Uh, no, um, up the Vernon Islands. Pretty um, little known, but uh, that's that's my favourite fishing right. spot in Darwin. I love catching the Trevallies and the Queenies, you know, the Skinnies. Yeah. Um, the Barrow, I think, are overrated. I think yeah. um, reef fish are better eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all the best, Thomas. Thank you for joining us. And um, hopefully we've debunked a lot of myths and misinformation and flat-out lies, obviously, that surround you and, and your involvement in the Uluru Statement and both the Indigenous Voice referendum. But also we've learned a lot too. Mm. I found quite an in-depth and you, you've got a way of explaining – the Uluru Statement is obviously something that hasn't been politicised. The Indigenous voice has been. The Uluru Statement hasn't been. People can't argue with that. The Liberals, they accept what happened there mm. and, and the No campaign does accept what happened there and what came mm. to be there. But we still don't know much about that and, and I appreciate you being able to explain what went down. Yeah, and we're not voting on the Uluru Statement. It's an important consensus yeah. that was reached that led us to this moment. Yeah. We're voting on recognition and yeah. listening. That's it. Well, um, all the best. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Love your work.